0: An illicit radio program. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome. Got a selection of good things on sale, stranger.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Bizarre, the fortnightly horror interview podcast where I interview the best up and coming horror talent from the pages to the screen. This week I have horror, comic, short story writer, Isaac Thorne. But first, before we heads into the conversation I had with Isaac, a few announcements from the episode three competition, I must announce a winner. So we've had a, a few entries, but only one can win the coveted bad acid poster and picked at random, that is Andrew Campbell. You will be messaged, Andrew, so well done for winning the poster. I'm sure it would look lovely up in the wall, and David would be delighted to hear bad acid is getting spread around. That's a movie. Anyone listening on loudspeaker and just caught a bit of acid, that's a movie poster. Don't worry. But the legendary Graham Humphreys, he did the artwork. So without further ado, coming up next, the conversation with Isaac Thorne. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the show. I have with me tonight yet another guest, author Isaac Thorne. He's a dark comic horror author. Isaac, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Great stuff. So you've recently released a new book, Digum. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But first, let's tell the audience a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the whole thing?
0: Oh, well, I've, I've loved horror since I was a kid. Uh, I, my grandmother had some, some Alfred Hitchcock, uh, records that I used to listen to and just scare the crap out of myself with. And, uh, from there, I, I kind of got into horror movies probably before I should have, uh, you know, late night cable in the eighties, um, was the place to go. And, um, And then I got into reading, Uh, you know, Stephen King, Clive Barker, Anne Rice, all those guys. It, It just it's something that that's always appealed to me. So I thought I'd try my hand at writing it. And I just never looked back from that.
1: That is quite good. What would you reckon would be your earliest kind of influence? What was your first scare that you can remember?
0: The first scare was those Hitchcock records, ghost stories for young people. Um,
1: (laughs) Definitely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and I can't, I, I haven't listened to it in so long. I can't even remember what the stories were, but I do remember being, you know, like six years old and those records scared me enough that my mother eventually threw them out
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> so i don't know what happened to them honestly do you think if you went back now you'd laugh joyfully at those i'm sure i would i'm sure i would absolutely <laughs> so what would have been your first kind of film that you would have watched and the f- been hiding behind the first
0: film yeah the first films were actually kind of tame they were the for me anyway they were the um the universal monsters i think dracula and frankenstein were the from the 30s were probably the first ones i ever saw um followed shortly by uh king kong and uh you know at the at the time they were cool but but i didn't really feel frightened by them um, so much as I thought they were, you know, like, Oh, awesome. These, these are, uh, uh, cool monster stories, that kind of thing. It wasn't until later that I was shown some of the slasher movies like Halloween mm-hmm. and, you know, the Friday, the 13th, things like that. And that was, that was my, um, the first time I kind of just didn't want to watch uh, or you know, kinda hid my eyes. Yeah. Um so uh so yeah, I think it, it took until the slasher movies for me to actually be frightened of something on film.
1: Very good. Yeah, um I'm trying to think back myself. What was my first scare? It was probably goosebumps there. Are you afraid in the dark? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so sort of how long did it nice. take you to get pen to paper? What when did you or why did you decide you to know,
0: start? I actually as far as the horror stuff goes, I I uh I started writing that when I was a teenager, but writing itself, I was doing, you know, from from the moment I could form sentences on paper, I I wanted to kind of create my own little worlds because I've always kind of lived inside my head, you know. I I was quiet, introverted kid, and and my imagination was a comfortable place for me. So I uh, I've been writing for a long, long time. Um, the horror stuff more from my teenage years, which you know are pretty horrific for for anyone who's been through them um <laughs> so uh so that's where i started started writing the uh
1: the scary stuff, and you know how many unpublished works are kind of hidden in drawers around the place are. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs>
0: many, many, many. I've got, uh, I, I've, I've still got stuff on that stored on uh, like five and a quarter inch floppy disks that I, you know, I have no way of accessing now.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I say okay. you're so, thankful for that too. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to give us kind of a little breakdown of what you currently have out? If people aren't yeah, really absolutely. familiar with you?
0: absolutely my my um my sort of brand is short tales of dark comic horror so i write things that can typically be read in in less than an hour and they have the the scary element to them but they also have an element of dark humor the primary reason for that is there's a lot of horror out there where where you just kind of you look at the situation and you're like oh please you know did they really expect me to take this seriously and when you're in any real life situation one of the ways you cope with the horror of a given situation is to crack a joke or to you know to find some humor in it somewhere to kind of make yourself feel better
1: yeah the laugh so, or cry sort of effect
0: right exactly and i thought that was a natural for the horror genre on paper i i felt like there wasn't there were too many people trying to be serious um and not really doing it that well at least in my head so i decided to just if i was going to be scary i was going to be funny too and just you know kind of winkingly let the audience know that that i'm in on the joke i understand that this is a ridiculous situation you know Mm -hmm. um so i'm going to present it in a way that Yes, it's ridiculous, but also, I think, a little more believable because the characters are responding in realistic ways. So, Digum is my latest. It, It came out in October, and it is about Cemetery Caretaker, who is angry with God for taking his wife and child in a horrific fire they've been you know burned to ashes and in his faith his personal faith um he's always been taught that if that happens to a body there's no way that when judgment day arrives those bodies can be resurrected and restored and saved so they're just they're doomed to nothing and considering the fire was an accident you know no fault of of their own diggum's pretty pissed off about that so uh, so he's decided to get use his role as caretaker vengeance by cremating the bodies of other people whether they want that to happen or not so he digs up the freshly buried and he cremates them You know, and that's all that's his little his little jab at God until things start to get weird. So that's about as far as I'm going to go on that, because when the weird stuff starts to happen is when things really come together and I don't want to give too much away.
1: Exactly. And as short stories go, if you say too much, you've basically told the story.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. You
1: have given me a copy today, which I must sit down and read. So you have me enthralled. I'm definitely going to read that this week. Awesome, thank so you. That'll be good stuff. And if I understand correctly, I, is this going to transition to the screen at some stage?
0: Um, I hope it does. What I did was, I what I envisioned was an animated sort of a, a storyboarded animation uh, type thing that you know wasn't really fluid animation, but was kind of kind of uh, storyboards telling the uh, or. Or representing, yeah, um, sort of
1: moving the background and foreground, that sort of stuff. Right. Exactly.
0: That's that's what I envisioned for it. So I recorded the audio for that, just by playing the role of Diggum myself, and the story's written in the first person, so I just read it. Right. Um. So I have the audio, and I was talking to a few people about about the possibility of doing that animation, and unfortunately, you know, was not able to to bring that about. In a timely fashion, so I just went ahead and and put it out there as audio. So right now it's audio only, but it is my hope that we can uh we can get that animation part of it going. And you know, it would be cool to see a, a live action version of of them as well. I just don't think I would be playing the part then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you prefer to stay behind the camera and behind. The
0: cam- yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: That's great. So, so before you. You know sit down and start writing what's the sort of process how do you think up the idea how does it go down on the page
0: you know i i actually don't try to come up with ideas for writing i i just something will occur to me and it's usually something you know from everyday life like uh when i wrote hoppers for instance that simply came out of my observation of so many people driving down Tennessee roads with their phones in their faces, you know, people cross the center line and they're near head on collisions all the time because of that. So I thought, well, what if, you know, what if someone is doing that and they accidentally hit something or, or someone that just, you know, completely destroys their life from then on. And I envisioned it as at first as someone's pet. And then I thought, well, it's more likely that, that you're going to hit wildlife in Tennessee. So he ran over a rabbit and the character in hoppers runs over a rabbit. Right. And, um, <laughs> and from there I thought, okay, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to this guy for running over a rabbit? <laughs> well, the rabbit, you know, gathers up a horde of other zombie rabbits and, and comes after him. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of how things how things come about for me. I I take a real life situation and just make it as ridiculous as I possibly can.
1: And would you sort of sit down and bang it all out in one session or would you kind of take a couple of weeks or
0: Uh I usually uh, typically it's a week or two. I mean the stories are short and and I will I'll come up with I don't outline short stories. But I will, I'll kind of write the skeleton of the action and then fill in around it um, as the week goes on. Just because I, I, the stories end up when you're writing like that, they, they end up sort of telling themselves in a way there will be stuff that you think up you know, while you're sitting there typing and, and you're like, oh, wait, you know, I need to add a little bit of this back in the beginning to kind of foreshadow this or that, that would be cool. You know, so it's, it's a little like a painting on a canvas for me. I think there, there are layers to the process. So you have the background layer. That's, that's the skeleton of the story. And then you kind of fill in the details from there.
1: And at what stage would you sort of say, right, I'm happy with this. I'm going to publish. Or has there been many things that were just left by the wayside, as you were kind of mentioning earlier, that you have lots of floppy disks of old (laughs) stuff?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's uh, it's it's finished when I feel like I can show it to somebody and they're not going to, you know, get bored halfway through the first page and put it down and go, "I, I don't want to read this. So I'll, I'll consider it finished when I can read through it finished and, and not cringe. (laughs) Right, exactly. And not cringe. And, you know, even then, even when you put something out there um, as the author, there's that, that little fluttering in your, your stomach, the little butterflies, like, are are people actually going to enjoy this? You know, or am I making myself look like an idiot? But uh, eventually you just kind of have to let it go, you know? And, uh, Just
1: let those birds out of the nest, out into the world. That's right,
0: absolutely, absolutely.
1: And would you plan on at least having one or two stories a year? Uh, I've
0: my average right now is two a year. I I typically release one in the spring and one in the fall i might start releasing more frequently than that it, it just it depends on a lot of factors you know um i i have a day job so <laughs> so that takes up a lot of time mm-hmm. you know it's it's a matter of of being able to to get the polish on as much as i can i've got a new one that i'm planning to release in the spring called decision paralysis and after that i'm probably going to compile what I have, along with a few unreleased stories that that I've put polish on and just haven't put out there yet, um, into a, a single collection that'll be made available in the fall of 2017. Yeah, so I was
1: going to ask, would you have any plans for an anthology? But you just answer that for me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that is in the works. And do you think you'd release it on paperback, or would you still go yeah, down the e-publishing route, or what? Do you I, I'm
0: going to do. I'm going to do both with the collection actually. I um I I haven't put the shorts out on paper just because I mean it, it's really print is is much more expensive than an ebook. Of I can course. put an ebook out there for 99 cents. It doesn't really cost me anything to do that. Yeah. You know, you you try to put a 25-page it's it's really not worth it the amount of money it takes to to put something out there that's that short you know in printed form unless there's something really really special about it like color illustrations or something like that you know a comic book that's awesome um yeah but, what you need to uh,
1: do but for now is uh, get the, <laughs> the accompanied comic book instead of a, a short film that would be
0: awesome yeah that's an that idea would be
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know much comic artists though so i think you're out of luck
0: yeah, I don't. Know. I always kind of envisioned it as uh, as Walking Dead style, you know. So, uh, somebody uh, fan of Robert Kirkman uh, out there who who can do something in that style and and wants to do this that yeah. would be. If awesome.
1: anyone's listening who knows Robert Kirkman or Robert Kirkman, <laughs> if you're listening yourself, <laughs> Come and, uh, do us a favor. I, Isaac needs an illustrator. Absolutely. And you know what was I'm going to ask some more current things. What was the last three horror films you've seen
0: the last three i've seen oh wow um i recently rewatched the wolfman i'm sorry excuse me the wolfman and frankenstein the old universal movies yeah and i actually rewatched house from 1986 the william cat movie so those are the most recent ones. Of course, I've I'd seen those before. Um in terms of modern horror, most recently I watched Dead Girl.
1: Dead Girl. I haven't heard which, about that one. Give us a little rundown. Oh,
0: I I uh I heard about it's it's a little bit older. It's um uh I don't remember the, the year exactly, but it's about these two boys who find a dead girl in an abandoned Uh, Insane Asylum. Right. Except she's not completely dead. She's dead, but she's animated. And she's just laying there strapped to this table and doesn't have any clothes on. And they, being teenage boys, start to think of, of ways they could take advantage of that. And it's a very, very disturbing kind of mesh of of horror and coming of age i actually first heard about it on on, from another podcast and i watched it after that and and it was it's probably the most disturbing thing i've seen in a long time it's very effective and very horrific
1: yeah it doesn't sound uh, very wholesome you could say (laughs) (laughs) right yeah it's it's not a wholesome coming of age story by any means yeah, no, uh, I might check it out though. The, the morbid curiosity you you got me on that hook now, so I might have to yeah. chase that one down.
0: And it, they they don't put a space between the two words, so it's it's dead girl like Deadpool, you know, oh, all right. one.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And if you were to pick your top horror film or top film of this is going to air in 2017, so of last year, we could do a bit of time traveling of 2016. <laughs>
0: Oh, top one of 2016. Um, you know that's a that's a really good question. I am trying to think of everything I saw this year that was released. I think I, I think I would put The Witch up there, and I, I'm not really sure why, except that I really liked how atmospheric it was. I thought they did a really good job with that. It was just a it, I don't know. It appealed to me. It wasn't really funny, you know, and I typically like the, the horror comedy mashup, but it was something that, that uh it was a slow tale, um, which is something you don't see often in horror now. It's all action, 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 but it, it was kind of a slow burn and I liked that about it.
1: Yeah. It wasn't you know? all just cheap jump scares and things popping out and saying, right. Boo. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I can watch something like a paranormal activity, but it that kind of thing gets a little old to me because you start to be able to kind of predict the jump scares and, and oh you know there's, there's something the ju- falls
1: jump scare you're like nah it's not going to pop out here it's coming very right. soon really <laughs>
0: exactly exactly
1: and you know how do you reckon the horror scene is right, right now do you think it's going in a good direction or what are your vibes what what's your opinion I
0: on that? I think on the indie. Scene. it's it's going in a good direction i think a lot of um of indie horror authors are maybe a little disappointed with what's out there in the mainstream right now the hollywood horrors yeah um, television has done a lot to kind of remedy that american horror story walking dead you know penny dreadful and um stuff like westworld and preacher, they've they've all kind of they've done a better job than the movies have, and I think that's inspired indie horror authors to to kind of take things up and and start writing horror and more atmospheric horror and and stuff that you you know plunk your money down at the theater and and expect to see. Um, and I think that's true of the uh, indie film makers as well there are a lot of wonderful uh short horror films out there um i recently watched exit which was i think from 2012 and i i loved it it was it was a one room horror story uh based on a short story and i don't remember the author's name unfortunately but it it was beautifully done and very effective and there was Practically no special effect, you know? Uh, but it was wonderfully scary.
1: And do you think that so would be I'd... something you'd be interested in getting into? Like script writing, maybe, to get your short stories out as short films?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I've had a um, an indie film production company, My Little Rascal Productions, uh, approach me about that. And they have picked three of my stories that they have adapted to screenplays and and are planning to uh to film next year oh excellent um, exciting times yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely you <mean> this year <laughs>
1: 2017 we're in 2017. yes yes
0: 2017
1: <laughs> no guys as you're listening we're recording this just before christmas the 11th of december <laughs> so we're all speculating yeah I've, I've watched some quite good uh probably the best film i've seen this year Was a short film called "The Cleansing Hour," where was um it was like online streaming of exorcism, and so it was kind of get on the you know the YouTube sort of craze and live streaming. But it was live, yeah. But it was actually done very well. I gave it my highest rating for on UK Horror Scene. I gave it a nine point nine out of ten. I couldn't give it a ten. That's awesome. But uh, you should should try and (laughs) check that one out. It's quite good. The Cleansing Hour.
0: I will. I have not seen that one. I'm writing it down.
1: And do you think it's um, easier now with the web and everything just to kind of get published And for writers that, and filmmakers? Do you think that's helped a lot? I, or do you think it's diluting things down a bit too much that you know you're just lost in the crowd?
0: That's a really good question because I think it's doing a little bit of both. Maybe not so much with film as it is with print, but possibly I mean, I'm not a filmmaker, so so I could just be talking out of my ass there but but for print in particular, you know every every reader every reader has a of being a writer as well and unfortunately, the reading audiences over time have dwindled, and the writing producers of uh especially since Kindle and things like that have have become available have swelled tremendously and the the good thing about that is that there are so many more unique voices out there now the bad thing about it is they're hard to find and so most of the time the readers the casual readers the the people who like specific genre fiction they're going to go for the big names that they know rather than take a chance on the smaller names the independent names that they don't it's unfortunate so so i think it's a double edged sword it's the the pool is large and it's difficult to to be heard at the same time there's a lot of quality out there a lot of unique and it's just a matter of finding the the diamonds in the rough
1: exactly and how do you find twitter as a platform sort of for promoting and finding people I, I find it fantastic that's how I approached you was over Twitter. <laughs> that's
0: right but I I agree with that completely I'm I'm addicted to Twitter I'm on there all the time and I'm I'm kind of on Facebook secondarily you know most of my Facebook posts are copies of my Twitter posts of but course. uh but yeah I I love Twitter I'm on there constantly
1: yeah I mean I'm I'm avoiding Facebook altogether because I just don't use Facebook anymore recently. right I, I, d- I just don't enjoy it but twitter's just great for just a quick look people are getting notifications you're messaging <laughs> a lot of strangers but there seems to be a nice there's like a virtual community which is yes. not in a big group per se but i've definitely seen you as one kind of we are we're all you know the six degrees of separation kind of thing right <laughs> in in the horror community i see the same names coming up all the time, even though I wouldn't be directly interacting with people. And that's good to know that there is a, you know, a lively group of people out there and everyone's very passionate about it. I I haven't come across any sort of bullshit, uh, you might say, (laughs) on Twitter. Everyone's fairly good, fairly open, besides the odd bots and sex bots and spam bots. (laughs) 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 Absolutely. So, no, I'm finding it very good. Yeah,
0: well, you know, if it wasn't for Twitter, I'd, I would not have met you. I would not have met the My Little Rascal folks that are doing the films, would not have have been introduced to Bleeding Critic or, you know, Carmen Online Theater Group or any of these podcast shows that I've done over the past year. It's just been wonderful for me.
1: It is. And that's why I sort of decided to make this show myself, because you know, giving people a voice outside of the 140 character limit, I think is quite important. There's a lot of Absolutely. podcasts out there that like to discuss the content, but never the people that create the content. So that was sort of the whole concept behind this—to sit down, have a nice, friendly chat.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Fantastic.
1: And of course, you're over in Tennessee, and I'm here in lovely Dublin in Ireland. <laughs> And it's great that we can connect like this. The internet's a beautiful thing. You, you it say. is, it's,
0: it is. It's, it's. You know, back in when I was growing up in in the eighties, you know, teenagers had had a phone, and the phone was most likely attached to the wall. And you know, if you if you wanted to call someone other than out outside your area code, you were going to pay a fortune for it. And the, the internet has just taken all that down. And it's amazing to me that I'm talking to someone from nearly the other side of the world, you know?
1: Yeah. And it is great, but there's a, a sort of a, a thing lost sort of your local community on that sort of level. Uh, yeah. In, in Ireland, historically there would have only been four uh, national television channels, which mm-hmm. were free to air. So it was sort of, you know, the the Saturday night movie that, maybe half the people in your class and school would have watched so you get to come in the next day and you know talk about that sort of film but these days it's a case of oh did you watch that show oh no i haven't watched it yet because i can stream it <laughs> so it's a lot more on demand but it's harder to discuss things because you're like oh come on just go home and watch it now or absolutely and, just and, and you know and a lot lunch of... or something like that <laughs>
0: Uh, and a lot of times you may not have even heard of what they're talking about. you like, you know, what is that? And uh, and then suddenly you discover that there's this entire phenomenon that you've been missing out on, you know?
1: Of course, that was me a couple of years ago with uh, Game of Thrones. I, I thought I had heard mm-hmm. everything and all the spoilers and I didn't want to actually end up watching it. And my friend was like, no, no, look, I have the first four seasons on DVD you know, I'll rewatch it with you. I was living with him at the time, and I was like, "Oh God!" Like I know what happens. Like Ned Stark gets his head chopped off. Well, everyone knows that. That's not a spoiler <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> but uh, I was hooked. Like best show on television, and then Westworld came along. I don't know. Are you watching that currently? But
0: I, I am not watching that. I want to. I, the first season is ended, right? Yeah, I, I just
1: finished last week. Well, sorry. okay. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: I need to uh I need to to binge that when it's uh when it's available to me.
1: And have you have you watched the original film from I think 1973? Have you watched it?
0: I have not. Yeah, I need I not. Really, I'll have to go back and I nearly started
1: and watch that before the show just to kind of give you okay, the context. Well, that's, that's what I did cuz I was like, "Oh, Westwood's coming out. I know that's a movie, but I've never <laughs> seen the movie so i just went back it was like terminator before terminator oh nice and it was michael Crichton's sort of precursor to jurassic park oh wow okay i I think he wrote it like he wrote the screenplay he didn't adapt a book he actually you know wrote the script and stuff sure so uh, i'm not too sure that he directed i could be giving him too much credit (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you have the anthology plans next year uh-huh. and any other plans besides that or for next year
0: Um the an- the anthology and the uh the films for next year I'm I've got some ideas for a longer work and it's something that I've been thinking about for a long long time and I've I've actually written a first chapter of a novel but um it oh it all depends you know I'm I'm gonna probably try to bang on that a little bit and and see what comes of it but we'll see there there might be uh, some other things in the
1: works right and you know when you are going just going back to the process like how much of yourself do you reckon ends up in the book or are you sort of adapting as you were saying the everyday things into something a bit more yeah. funny and macabre but it like right. Is it kind yeah, of- there's
0: well, there's a lot of there's a lot of any author in their own work. Uh, I think. I mean, like you you can't read Stephen King without recognizing that it's Stephen King. Even the the Richard Bachman books, when you after you know that Stephen King wrote them, you read them and you say, "Oh, that should have been obvious." Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so so I think that's. I think it's true that, that there's a lot of of any author in their work whether that be you know their own personality their own politics their own belief systems uh or those of people close around them um that they've kind of taken on for a given character um absolutely yeah I would I think there's a lot of me in my work
1: and besides yourself who would be your biggest critic what was the most crushing Stuff you've gotten back out of the ether.
0: Oh, oh, wow. That
1: uh,
0: I don't know that I would call him my my biggest critic, but he was the most helpful critique I ever received. And that was from an actual New York Times bestselling author. His name is John Skip. And I sent him he was uh, pulling together. An anthology that's it's been out for a while it's called psychos and he put out a request for uh for submissions to it so i submitted to it and what i got back from him was a too long it took your character four pages to take a pee you know (laughs) (laughs) so so that it was it was kind of the feedback. I mean, when you first read uh, critical feedback like that, you you kind of you feel your heart sink a little bit um, naturally. But uh, but in the end, it's to the good because it makes you a better writer, makes you a better storyteller, especially if you can put yourself in the reader's place rather than just oh I'm this brilliant writer and everybody's going to read my stuff and and love it no matter you know whether I. I'm writing gorgeous shakespearean prose or or shit on the page if you can look at it from the reader's perspective and and not as your own creation or just allow yourself the window of of negative feedback and try to see it from that perspective i i think you do yourself a big favor in terms of the product you put out there
1: and do you think you're you know the first time you decided to hit submit your heart was in your mouth. Were you ready for the world? Oh, absolutely! You the kind of
0: thing? <laughs> absolutely! Absolutely! You know, I I was I was expecting uh, you know one star reviews all the way, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's. It, it, then again, though, there's a part of me that that is um, that I, I care. You know what the reader thinks, but there's a part of me that also kind of would be putting it out there anyway just because i have the desire to do it and the platform now you know i i have to write these things it's it's just something that i feel called to do so and the natural end product of writing a story is to put it out there for people to read so i i can't imagine now not doing that i'm not putting something out there i mean obviously there's a a bunch of stuff that that i have that never sees the light of day but i'm gonna put something out as long as i'm able
1: and just as long as you're sort of happy that you know putting it out for yourself and then saying geez would anyone read this kind of thing right right exactly i get you what was i going to say now i had another burning question Oh yes. (laughs) Do you do you have any mega fans? Is there anyone who's like, oh my god, I can't wait for your next work, or is everyone fairly? Oh wow. Um,
0: I don't know that I have any any mega fans. I I have uh I have some people who are are very uh vocal in their support for me, and and they're awesome, and I'm so happy. Again, they're people that I've primarily met on Twitter and who are are uh filmmakers and musicians and and authors in their own right, you know artists in their own right and and are very supportive of me and i I love them for it
1: I would imagine so so for a shot at a humble brag, who is your be- biggest endorsement?
0: um uh, there are two biggest endorsements right now that that just pop to the top of my head and and one of them is Dave Carner. Uh, who has has uh, reviewed several of my stories and and i'm just i'm blown away by his perspective on them and he's actually on twitter at scarescapes the other uh she goes by tracy t-r-a-c-e-e and i think her twitter handle is tracy underscore t-r um she's a musician a brilliant musician and and she uh she really seems to enjoy my work and is is a big supporter. So, so those two are top of my mind.
1: That's great. And do you think you're going to keep writing forever and ever? Or do you think at some stage you're going to look and say, hey, "I've done everything i I've done. I'm starting to repeat myself." Or do you think there's always going to be inspiration you can draw from?
0: I think the you know times change, the world changes, and changes faster now than it ever has in the past. And I think there's always going to be inspiration there. The, the, the problem is going to be, you know, am I still, um, am I still able to take that and use it to tell a good story? And I think when I get to the point where there's just something that, that I can't, I can't uh, manipulate into, an interesting tale that's probably when i'll stop doing it
1: i guess that's a fairly good way to look at it that when it's done it's done kind of thing Um, yeah absolutely absolutely i'm
0: i'm not gonna put a time on myself you know and um it's it's just gonna be uh, that's just how it's gonna be it'll end when it ends
1: yeah you're you're not gonna be like tarantino putting a 10 film limit on his right uh, (laughs) on this thing but he's what has he done like three westerns now or he has plans for a third i one? think so <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, he needs yeah i think you're right. those.
1: they've been done to death i know it's uh <laughs> kind of uh he's he's a crazy guy but I, I wish him the best of luck absolutely uh so isaac i'd say that's nearly a good place to start wrapping up if we were to find you All online right. where would we find you
0: you can find me on twitter at isaac R. Thorne and that's Thorn with an E. My website is isaacthorn.com, and uh, I'm also Isaac R. Thorne on Facebook.
1: Excellent stuff. Well, Isaac, thank you very much for taking the time out of your Sunday afternoon to come on and chat with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure people would be very happy to listen and get a little bit of insight into the man, the legend, Isaac Thorne. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been fun.
1: Isaac, enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye, everyone. And that was my interview with Isaac Thorne. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to catch him, I'll put all the information on the show notes. And if you want to contact me, you can reach me on Twitter at the Fear Merchant, as always. You can check out thefearmerchant.com and if you want to send me an intimate email, you can send it to thefearmerchant at com. Until next time, enjoy yourself.
0: Come back any time.